Um, if you have a Bible nearby, just, just grab it in hand and turn with me to the second book in the New Testament, the Gospel account according to Mark. And um, Lord willing, we're looking forward to spending our time slowly going through the Gospel of Mark, um, starting from now. So 1st of August, and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. So if you turn there with me now, we're looking at the Gospel according to Mark, the second book in the New Testament. I'll just read that short verse that introduces this gospel and follow along with me. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we'll stop there this morning to think on that verse. Now let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of having your word with us, of being able to come under your word, of learning from your word, of coming to know you through what you have spoken. Well, Lord, be with us now. And may your Holy Spirit powerfully open our hearts to receive what you are speaking to us. Be with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's that short verse that introduces this whole gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Very simple introduction. And this morning, we're just going to break it down and think about very simple two things that this tells us. See, the writer, his name is Mark. He's telling us the subject of his whole book. It's of Jesus Christ. It's about him, who he is, the Son of God, what he's come to do and accomplish, what he wants us to know. That's the subject of this entire gospel account and the purpose through which he writes. It's the gospel. That word we associate very religiously, but if you go back to the Greek word itself, it just translates to good news, glad tidings, happy things that are now being told and proclaimed forth. That's the purpose that he's writing. He's saying, I've got something to tell you about this person, Jesus Christ, who he is, the Son of God, what he's come to do and to tell you. And the reason why I want to tell you is that it is happy news. It is glad tidings. It is the most wonderful of things that you need to know. That's why he's writing. And very simply now we see well, let's consider what those two things mean more in depth as we start our, our time through the Gospel of Mark. And we consider firstly that idea of the Gospel, the good news. What can we understand when we really take some time to meditate and to think on that idea of good news that's being brought? Well, if you think of it this way, when somebody receives good news and glad tidings. The purpose is obviously to make them rejoice and to leap and have a party because something really hap happy has now been told to them. Now we understand then clearly that whatever it is that's being brought to them as news, they did not have before. Right? I mean, if you came to tell me that the car outside is my car, I would say to you, well, I know that. It's already, it's already my car. Tell me something that I don't know. You know, good news is glad tidings that Mark so wants to communicate in this book is clearly something that people, human beings, do not have naturally. You don't already possess it. Which tells us, actually, that if it is glad tidings then it's implying to us that the situation we're in, apart from that tidings, apart from that news, is not good, is not, is not the best that it could be, is not glad at all. 
the situation that we're in, apart from knowing about this message of Jesus, is not a happy place, is not a good place. That's why we need to have something more than we currently have. We need to hear about this person, Jesus Christ. And it's Him that makes now us glad. Now we see this is good news. But you can see even with that phrase that he's using, he's telling us that this is something that we don't currently have. And in fact, apart from this message of Jesus, our situation is not glad and not happy. How is that so? Why is this message good news? Well, you know, if you read the Bible and take it in as a whole, you see very clearly the central message that humanity naturally on its own is not in a good place. Well, you know, you don't have to read the Bible to know that. All you have to do is look at the world around you, and all you have to do is look at your heart within you. And you will be able to conclude, if you are an honest observer, there's something seriously wrong with this world. When I look around me in this world, there are all kinds of sufferings, all kinds of tragedies, all kinds of evils that are being committed. Daily, people are suffering unjustly. Daily, people are suffering. People are committing evils and wicked deeds. And that's just looking outside in the world around us. But if you took a look within your own heart and you were willing to be honest in your conscience, you would also conclude there is something seriously wrong with me because I see in my own thoughts evil deeds and perverse desires, things that I know are wrong, things that I know are shameful, things that I know that if I told my closest friends and family, they would look at me and they would not be friends with me. They would not think highly of me. All of these things, these, these terrible things within us and around in the world, so the Bible just calls that simply as sin. It is us falling short of that glorious standard that God created us for. God made humanity good. He made us as His creatures to reflect His image, to love Him and to love one another. When you look at yourself and you look at the world around you, how much do you really see of love to God and love to neighbor? We see so little. In fact, we search our own hearts and we see, if we're honest, if you're willing to be honest with yourself and before God, it's so natural to you to be selfish. It is not natural to you to be selfless. You observe any children amongst us, as sweet and cute as they are, they're very easily selfish rather than selfless. And in fact, we know that human beings can be selfless. The Bible says all of that is signs that God has not deserted us. He has given a common grace. But still the problem remains. From within our hearts come all manner of evil thoughts and words and deeds. In fact, we will read later on in this very gospel, the Lord Jesus himself is recorded as teaching. Out of your heart flows all of this evil, and it's that that pollutes you before God. It's that evil that springs up from within you that makes you unworthy before God to receive any blessing from him. Or you see humanity, apart from this message of Jesus, we are in a very dark place. I wonder if you've realized that. 
I wonder if you've come to terms with the fact that apart from what the Bible seeks to tell us about Jesus, you are not in a right place before God your Maker. You do not stand deserving of His blessing. You can see within your own heart all manner of evils. And if you came to read about what God is like as revealed in the Bible, you would see, I have a serious problem. Because while my heart flows out all these kind of evil things, I see in the Bible that God is a good God who will not tolerate evil forever. He's patient now. He allows the world to go on, but one day He will bring it all to a close on the most fear and just trial that anybody in all creation will ever witness. No wicked person will ever escape His judgment. Not even death will cover them because we read in the Bible that He will raise them from the grave to receive their just retribution. I hope your own conscience is rising up to tell you this very morning that apart from what the Bible has to tell me about Jesus, if left on my own, just myself, bare and naked before God, I have a deep and serious problem. God is a good God. Well, surely He must be good. But I am not. My situation is terrible. I wonder if you've realized that. You might well conclude, well, I know I'm not perfect. You don't have to tell me that. But maybe you're excusing yourself. You're justifying things. Well, I'm not perfect, but nobody else is. Well, the Bible never once tells you that God grades on a curve in comparison to others. As long as you're above the average, you're fine. God, He only judges you depending on His own perfect goodness. Do you know that's why the Bible says, left on your own, there is nothing to look forward to but death. That is a frightful thing and it's a terrifying thing. But it's something that we must come to grips with if we are to properly understand why this is glad tidings. Why is it good news? It's because this message about Jesus tells you something that you did not automatically have that you do not possess and enjoy naturally. If you are deceived into thinking that all is well with you, that you do not need to pay attention to what the Bible has to say and all shall be well with you and God, you are deceived. But when you come to the Bible with that attitude and you read this, you will say, what's well, interesting news, it's fascinating tidings, but it isn't good. Because why do I need it? Everything is already okay with me and God. Even though, if you're honest, your own conscience tells you, really? All the things that come up with your own heart, all the evil thoughts and deeds, you think, you think God is going to accept all of it? No, I'm begging you this morning. Be serious with your own conscience and come to the Bible realizing that what the Bible says about you is true. You need to hear this message. It is glad tidings to you because your current situation is not good. It is not glad and happy. You stand by yourself apart from this message of Jesus. You stand alienated from God. You stand under His judgment. Well, that's why this is glad tidings. Now let's think closely. What is this happy and good news? Well, you see, the good news is not about a religious system. 
The good news is not about a list of things that you must do. The good news is not about things that you must give up, so to speak. The good news is about a person. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, why specifically is he referenced as the Son of God? There's a million other things we can talk about the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he's come to do. Why does Mark point to the Son of God specifically? Well, I think he's there pointing to, perhaps throughout history, one of the most difficult things to accept about the true identity of this person, Jesus Christ. That he is indeed God's own Son, divine. And yet, he walked on this world as a man. Mark points to the most offensive truth about Jesus. And he points to that as how he introduces his entire gospel. But really what he's telling us is that this message about Jesus is about who he is in reality. I don't know if you've ever read articles and books and supposed bestsellers that claim to have discovered the real Jesus, the real historical Jesus. He wasn't a religious leader, they say. He was actually a political activist. He wasn't here to tell us about heaven or hell or God. He was actually here to change society. So many authors, they try and sell books by trying to claim to discover the real Jesus. Even though they have no idea who he is because they never spent a single moment with him. And yet the gospel writer Mark and all those things we read in the Bible, they were written by people or they heard eyewitness accounts of people who spent time with the real historical Christ. They walked with him. They had bread and fish with him. They saw what he taught with his own eyes, with their own eyes. And they simply gave their eyewitness testimony. And Mark writes as one who simply records down these eyewitness testimonies. And so when he writes to us about Jesus Christ, this person, he is writing to us the historical reality about who Jesus is. And you see there he goes right to the most astounding, the most amazing, the most commonly offensive truth about who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. Why so? Why would Mark communicate that unless he heard Jesus himself teach that about himself over and over and over while he was on earth, teaching the crowds who followed him? But that is simply, you might say, the, the, the capstone. There is so much more about who Jesus is. But what Mark is wanting us to pay attention to is he's saying this to you. Without this message, you are in a terrible position before God. But I bring to you glad tidings, happy news. And this happy news is this person, Jesus Christ, that I want to tell you about. He is the entire content and subject of my book, of my message. I want you to hear about him. But take care, my dear listeners, or in our case, my dear readers. You can imagine Mark saying, take care that you pay attention to the real Jesus that I am telling you about. Do not be tempted to cut and paste away what you do not like about him. Do not be tempted to try and hack this Jesus into pieces. To only take in what you like about him and to reject what you do not like about him. Do not be tempted. Like so many, even his day, 
who hears this message of Jesus and they see, for example, the ethical teachings. They say there is so much wisdom. There is so much good moral teachings here. But his claims about being God, his own, God's own son, I can't accept that. That is ridiculous. Well, let me just cut him in half and take his teachings about morality, but reject his teachings about who he is. Or perhaps there are those who say, oh, I love reading about Jesus' offer of the forgiveness of sins, that he's come to deal with our terrible position before God. I love that. I need that. But I, I'm not willing to accept that he also claims to be my Lord and King. That he calls upon people to follow him for the rest of their lives. Oh, I can't accept that. They see that he comes to people like prostitutes and tax collectors. Those who are such need of love and he loves them and they say, oh, that's so wonderful. But then they read that he says to them, go and sin no more. And they say, well, I don't want to give up my sin. Why don't I just cut Jesus in half and just take the half that I like? You cannot do that and expect to receive Jesus in his, in his truth and in his reality. How can you think of cutting a person in half and then still saying, I've got the person? You see, a Jesus that's been hacked to pieces to fit your preferences is not the real Jesus. He's but a paper mache model that you've made up to resemble something like the real one. But that is not the glad tidings. That is not the good news. We are here to read about who he really is. Everything he has come to tell us. And Mark, he's wanting us to pay close attention to everything he wants to tell us about who Jesus is. He's almost just saying here to us through his words, I'm just telling you what Jesus himself taught about himself. I'm just here to record as an eyewitness and hearing from other eyewitnesses what he said. And that, everything he says, everything that he is, that is the good news. Well, how so? I mean, time fails us. Of course, we... we by God's grace, we want to spend the rest of our year and beyond to look at what Jesus says. But I want to point you to a singular verse where Jesus himself states what he has come to do. Later on in Mark chapter 10, in verse 45, you will read Jesus say, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of God. That's His identity. That's, his, that's, his, that's who He is. He is the divine Son of God. Come into our world. Why did He come? To give His life as a ransom for many. Because He knows we are under condemnation. We are not in a right place with God. And so He says, rather than them, these people deserving a judgment, dying for their sins, I will take their place. I will give my life as a ransom for many. And so we read the most climactic thing that He does is He willingly goes to the cross to die the shameful and public death of a criminal. But He says, I'm not dying that death for me. I'm dying that death for sinners like you. That's the glad tidings. That's what we are to understand as changing our situation entirely. We see now, well, I'm not perfect, and God is good, and I'm not right with Him. What shall I do? And we come now with this news. God's own Son, God Himself sends His Son in love, 
And Jesus the Son comes in love. Because he loves sinners, he says, I will deal with their trouble before God. I will die in their place. And then when God looks on them, he will see that I've covered their sins. He will see that all has been settled. And God, my Father, will accept you perfectly. Well, you see how in Jesus Christ, everything is perfectly settled. In Him we find that phrase repeated throughout the Bible, the forgiveness of our sins. That is such a glorious phrase. That is such good news to you who your biggest problem is, your sins before God. Well, you might not feel that way now. You might feel life is very well and dandy. But you need to reckon with the fact that one day this temporary earthly life will end. Every single one of us will die. That cannot be, that cannot be disputed. And when we die, we will face God our Creator and give an account of our life. And we will be under His hands and His judgment. And what He is telling us now in the Bible is that He has sent His Son to give to us the forgiveness of our sins. And if those sins are not forgiven, then when we see Him on that judgment day, we will be condemned rightly, fairly, because of our sins against Him. You see now how important it is that you pay close attention to this good news. This is the message of God's salvation. These are words that we use in church so often. But you need to understand why these words are used. Because you, as a human being, are in need of saving. Do you realize that? Do you know that? I pray God is revealing that to you, maybe even right now, as you think about these things being said. You are in need of saving. And do you know, it is so indicative, so obvious, showing God His love, in that He even gives to us a salvation to receive. Think of this as an analogy. Imagine you were just there on the streets as a poor beggar. Imagine you had nothing to your name. Imagine that you were there because you made your own mess of your life. You, you made mistakes. You made silly decisions. You were there because you ruined your own life. Now, you in that position, under any notions of fairness and justice, you would yourself confess, I do not deserve to have anyone give to me money and life and anything. I, I made a mess of my own life. I stand condemned myself. I'm a beggar. What, what claim do I have upon anybody? But then you see, perhaps you see a flyer, perhaps you see a message come to you, and you read there that the king of your country, oh, he's a good king. And he says he has now decided to open his treasury to anyone who comes to him and asks. He will give the full riches of his royal treasury. And you think, well, this king, he's a trustworthy king. I read the news. I know his character. He will always fulfill his word. And if I take this flyer and I walk into the castle gate and I present it to his servants, I present it to him. I said, you said that you would grant to anybody. You, have you made no reference to how worthy they are. You've just simply said, whoever comes to me, I will give to them out of my royal treasury. You said you will give it to them. Well, King, this is what you said. 
You know, in this story, if the king was a man of his word, he would give and he would not hold back. The very fact that he's given a flyer out throughout his kingdom shows how generous he is, doesn't it? The very fact that there's even glad tidings for you this morning shows how generous and loving God truly is. But my friends, you need to pay attention. If you have this flyer now, if you have this message of the good news of Jesus Christ, you must come to receive it and believe upon it and to live according to it, don't you? You have this flyer now. Well, what use is it if you stay there on the street and do not come to the king? What use is it for you, even if you were to go home and read the whole of the book of Mark in one sitting? But it does not lead you to come to God and to say to Him, Lord, I need your forgiveness. God, I need this good news in my life and for myself. Have you done that? Have you, have you read about the Lord Jesus and drawn near to God, trusting in Him, trusting in who He is and what He has done on the cross for sinners like you? You must do. Because this good news and glad tidings will not become good news for you personally until you yourself rely upon it and receive it and bank on it and draw near to God through it. Have you done so? May God help you to do that. May He direct your attention to who Jesus is. We're just looking there at the first verse of this gospel. Well, it is so easy now to get a hold of the Bible on your phones, on the internet, find it on, your, on, on wherever you can find it, but read yourself of who Jesus is. This is such an important message and you need to read about Him yourself. But when you read about Him, you need to receive Him. You need to draw near to God through Him. And then you will be able to say in your own personal experience, here is glad tidings that I've been waiting for my whole life. Here is peace with God. Here is reconciliation with my Creator. Here is the forgiveness of all of my sins. Here is the taking away of all of my shame and all of my guilt. Here is my acceptance with God as His child. Here is everything. Only when you draw near to God through Jesus Christ will you know that wonderful, wonderful reality. But here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. May God help you all to pay close attention to what He is revealing to us. Let's pray now and ask for His help. Well, Lord, we thank You so much for our time now. We thank you so much that in this brief introductory verse, we see the purpose of the whole Bible that is here to tell us the good news of Jesus Christ. He has come to bring us glad tidings. He's come to bring us salvation because apart from this salvation, we stand condemned and separated from you because we are not good people. Our hearts produce all manner of evil and wickedness. Well, God, you certainly know that, and we ask that you would help us to realize that so that we would pay close attention to this good news of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to draw near to you through Christ. Help us to be hungry to know more of this glorious Savior. Help us, Lord, to seek you and to read the Bible for ourselves so that we can see that he indeed is the Savior of the world. Help every soul here, Lord, to believe in Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.